a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 95 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and Stitcher, and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the many personalities of Morgan Cord, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey everybody, good to be here, uh, dealing with the second half of the storyline in which I had forgotten Jiraiya gets the hots for Cade's mom, which reminds me of that, uh, oh god, what is that song, Stacy's mom, is that what it's called? Yeah, oh. Stacy's mom has got it going on, or something uh, like that. Jiraiya, Jiraiya, we barely knew ya. <laughs> Well, here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, like why is Jiraiya Sin so hot for Mama? Or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we continue our look at Dark Horse Comics Star Wars Legacy Issues 14 through 19, although this one we're covering issues 17 through 19, Claws of the Dragon by John Ostrander and Jan Dersima. Now, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because... Here we go. That's right, we're back. It is now one week later, both in terms of episodes of this show and the storyline. We jump ahead by one week where we find uh, Malady and Nil torturing Hosk Trelis, uh while Cade is going through what amounts to Sith training. He's training with the person who was assigned as his initial trainer in the last issue, briefly after he saved her life, Darth Talon. Of course, being the idea that... And this is something where they finally give a reason why Darth Skank, Darth Cleavage, Darth whatever you want to call it, Darth Body Paint, um, exists the way that she does. Uh, I was always hoping that as skanky as they made this character look, as as overly sexualized as this character was made to look, that there would be a reason for it, aside from just saying, Hey guys, um, Star Wars fans are geeks. Geeks like girls, but maybe don't see enough of them, so let's give them a scantily clad uh, Sith woman in a bikini all the time and the body paint. They'll like that kind of thing. Or it's simply the, well, she's a Twi'lek, and Twi'leks all dress like hoes when they're women. So we're going to have her dress like a hoe. Um, I was hoping there'd be some reasoning behind it, and we finally see, I think, the reason in these issues why it is so that she can be there not just to be a trainer and an adversary and a deadly assassin put up against Cade, but someone who could seduce him, not just to the dark side, but seduce him physically as a way of drawing them closer together and drawing him closer to the dark side. It seems that there finally is a meaning behind that, which I thought was a good thing. Um, 
we get to see them training. Cade now has a, a version of his normal clothing, except it's now black with red. It's, it's sort of a Sith version of the same type of thing that he's used to wearing. Um, but Crate is not fooled by this. In discussing this with Darth Weirlock, I like the fact that there is no sense that Crate is fooled by Cade's I'm going to turn to the dark side thing, because we know that Cade is doing it in order to get you know what he wants and get the heck out of there. It's not like he's intending on becoming a Sith Lord at this point, at least not from what we can tell. Um, and we have this conversation in which Crate says, uh, Skywalker's arrogance will be his undoing. He thinks himself skilled enough to hide his true feelings, but he is not. What we pretend to be, we often become. So it will be with Cade Skywalker. The promise of power will seduce him to the dark side as it did his forefather. Cade Skywalker will cross over to the dark side and cure me. Having him within our empire and as part of our Sith Order will shake our enemies to their core. And I like the fact that he is recognizing this. It's very much sort of the, the Qui-Gon Jinn, our focus determines our reality type of thing. Um, and we've seen this. Mm -hmm. We've seen it with Luke in Dark Empire uh, being at least somewhat seduced. We saw it with Ulick Keldroma back in Tales of the Jedi. We saw it with Quinlan Voss, who will be referenced by Krayt at one point, if not by name. Um, during the Republic comics, this idea that those who try to get close to the dark side to deal with it from within and take it down from within usually wind up falling into that oblivion or close to it. They don't succeed in taking down the Sith, usually at least not alone, um, and they usually wind up having to find redemption in some other way because they fall too far towards the dark side to get out of it alone. Well, and it's also cool because there's this schism going on, which, you know, the, in Malady's lab, when Nil is talking to her as they're torturing Trisk, uh, you know, he's talking about how, you know, she says, well, what if Krayt can't be healed by Cade? Then what? And he goes, well, then Lord Krayt will die, Lady Malady, for you too have failed to heal our master. And if Krayt does die, who will lead the Sith Order? No heir has been named. It would fall to a Sith whose power and strength would let him take that position. You speak of the old ways. You have been accessing the ancient holocrons, the ones that teach what is no longer taught, a dangerous path, a path you have walked, Lady Malady, if you recognize the old truth. And what is more pressing concern, I believe Lord Krayt's obsession with the young Jedi because he intends to make Skywalker his heir. Him? He's not even a Sith. Not yet. And I like because in the last issues, you know, they were talking about the fact that, you know, were you a, a Sith born from the beginning or not? And so there's that aspect of even the Sith are, are kind of schisming in its amongst themselves as to who they trust and why they're being trusted by their Lord and what their Lord's mottos are. And and you get this feeling like, you know, Nil does kind of have ambitions of his own and could be a threat, which, you know, from what we know from Legacy Volume 2 actually kind of interests me as I'm reading this as a reread. It's like, oh, okay, so there were more divisions going on even back at this point. That then brings us into the the next stage of the plan. Uh, Morlish delivers uh, different uh, Vong-based like bug weapon things uh, to Nina. He's supposed to be delivering to Morgan, but Nina says she's picking him up for Morgan so that she can still be the, uh, the one mostly in contact with the agent that is actually herself. Um, and we get to see the plan starting to be put together with uh, Key and Chuck and uh, Jiraiya and Delia and Morrigan all aboard the Minoc as they're trying to figure out how they're going to figure out where Kate is within the Sith Temple as far as setting up these different uh, uh, Vong bugs to not only be essentially spies but also explosive, which uh, presumably they already are at this point, which is when we get that moment of Jiraiya basically being so excited about seeing these uh, and how you know he 
wouldn't have been able to get as many from the black market. He says, you know, I think I'm in love. At which point, Delia says, you know, Sin, she's Cade's mom. And she's really old! Which I thought was, you know, a great, <laughs> hilarious moment, of course, given that, uh, uh, I mean, me, me and my wife, depending on what time of year it is, we're either nine years or ten years apart for us. And it's not as though age differences have made that big of a difference in Star Wars before, um, given that, uh, how is it that, uh, that Weird Al Yankovic put it, do you see him, that is Anakin, hitting on the queen, though he's just nine and she's 14? Um, there certainly was a lot of uh, uh, Anakin trying to, I don't even know what you'd call it. I don't, it's not hitting on her, I guess, because he's just nine, but he's like, hey, baby, back in episode <laughs> one um, with that, that gap there. So we've got this, this plan that they are setting into motion. We don't know exactly what all the details are, um, but we know that Morgan's the one whose plan must be followed to the letter. Um, when Delia, for instance, uh, disagrees with them switching the registry over to Chuck, um, which is a way of clearing the registry and not having that ship recognized as Cade, she freaks out until Morgan explains why they need to do it. Uh, Morgan herself then infiltrates the Sith Temple as a Sith because apparently we were just talking about in last episode how she looks like Morticia freaking Adams in her apartments when she's out of uniform as Nina. Um, she must be big on this whole body paint type of thing because she turns herself into sort of a black and red colored Sith woman um, and then dresses in a cloak and everything to go release the bugs into the Sith temple, which makes me wonder about those dots that she wears. She's got like the dot under one mm -hmm. eye. She's got the dot on her chin. I'm wondering if those are part of like an active camouflage system or something. Oh, um, there's an idea. Because, yeah, I mean, I and what is it with these two characterizations? Morgan Corden, as a Sith female, she looks temptingly eye candy-like. And yet, as Naya, it's like Morticia Adams Central. And I, I, the way they do it, she does look sick. <laughs> yeah, it looks like she's, you know, she's, she's almost dying. Like I said, cadavers to a degree. Um, you know, Sin, though, when he, when he gets all, oh, I think I'm in love, he kind of reminds me of, like, a pirate or, well, of course he is a pirate, but, uh, like, a gangster that... Like, the big boss just dropped an AK-47 in his lap. Here you go, son. It's for you. Oh, I love you, boss. Let's go do something stupid. Oh, I like Boom. Boom is always good. Like, I mean, she's appealing to the side of him that, that will win him over. And there are moments where when she does things like this and other things where you're kind of like, is she Force-sensitive? I mean, when she goes into the temple and she walks right by him, I was thinking the same thing. But she talks about, you know, the Vong bugs are Force-neutral. With luck, any Sith who does give me a glance will simply think I'm very skilled at shielding my thoughts. So they cover that up. But there are moments where you're like, wait, what's going on with her? It, and she is the mysterious character, the most mysterious character about this, because they never explain what's driving her, why she's doing most of the things. One minute she's after Kate, then she's trying to rescue him, then she's trying to rescue him again, then she's trying to kill me. Like, what is going on? We then move to three weeks after that, um, when Kate is still training with uh, Talon at this point, and she shows him uh, Sith art. Uh, and talks to him about, you know, how when she became, you know, a Sith and everything, she killed her master at Crate's Command, etc. So we saw that back in the first arc. I find it interesting, though, that these are the, the art that's on the wall are those weird, like, target-looking things that we saw with her on one of the covers of one of those, uh, either one-half or zero issues. Although... Yeah, it was zero one-half, and I thought that was cool, too, because it's like, here's that moment come to mm -hmm. life. Art embodies the thought and philosophy of a civilization, gives it form. The Sith who created this was an artist as well as a warrior. Okay, so the height of Sith art at this point for the one Sith 
is a bunch of, of pluses with circles going through them. Um, that's no. not exactly much in the way of... I, mean, I get the idea that, that this is Sith artwork. It shows our philosophy, our understanding of the Force. Dun, dun, dun. But it looks like something that, you know, any teenager bored in class and doodling could come up with. I mean, this See, doesn't I even have the intricacy it... of a Sith tattoo. Yeah, yeah, it does miss that. But when I looked at it, what I thought was, I mean, it's standing up, but that's not how I envision it being made. Because when she talks about it, I, I envision it being made with a lightsaber. So I kind of envisioned this slab being on the ground and the master was kind of tracing the arcs or the circles of responsibility that Coran talks about with the lightsaber and kind of like how they're intersecting and crossing. Like it, it did have me curious as to what exactly they meant by that because, you know, the way that it embodies it. But I liked how she also continues on about how, uh, you know, she actually, the guy, uh, upon completion of this work, he was also, he was so pleased that he asked his apprentice to kill him so the darkness of his own death would become a part of the work. And that was kind of interesting because, you know, we've we've talked in the past about taints and stains and things like that, uh, <laughs> that the dark side leaves on places, you know, these nexuses and things like that. And, and to see that kind of being like, you know, hinted at, I mean, they don't flat out say it, but in a sense, that's exactly what's happening. By by his death at that location, it creates this nexus in the force that that adds to the depth of what you would feel going into that room or coming near that art. Not to mention that the art was probably worth nothing because everybody looked at it and said, wow, it's a bunch of pluses and circles. This is stupid. And then as soon as he dies, you know, it's worth a lot of money, um, <laughs> as is generally the case. Um, and then they discuss point, the aspect... How they're asked the aspect of they're discussing, you know, I killed my master, Talon, and they go into that moment of talking about, you know, well, if you do a good job training me, do I get to kill you? Yeah, which was an, an interesting moment. And she's, you know, that, that uh, if, if you ever become skilled enough to kill me, you'll honor us both with my death, et cetera, et cetera. I just, I, I'm, I'm taken almost out of this scene a couple of times because apparently in those three to four weeks that have passed, I guess four now, since the last time we saw Cade with Talon and Crate and all them, uh, Cade has gotten himself a haircut. And now it's much more of a mullet kind of thing that he's got going on at this point. Um, well, I was thinking he kind of grew it out and is tucking it behind his ears all of a sudden. Because, yeah, the same thing. I mean, you look at the cover, his hair is still doing that Cody from the Sister Wives kind of bushy thing. And now he's got the business up front and party in the back, baby. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's spent a little bit too much uh, time watching Joe Dirt uh, on Hull of It or something. Um, he, he is rocking a mad set of Vader pants, so I will give him that. Vader pants? You never noticed that, that the pants guess, he's wearing through this are, series are Vader's? Yeah, I, I guess those are Vader pants. Um, Looking weird. like a fool with your Vader on pants. <laughs> but, but okay, I never thought of Vader needing to take a leak or anything like that, that his system would do it for him. And these certainly look like they're all one leather piece. So unless he pulls them down to use the restroom anytime he needs to pull up to uh, to use the restroom, like it's a, a part of a onesie or something, I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that being uh, very, what's the word I'm looking for, comfortable. I suppose. Then again, um, he has to dress in a whole lot of leather um, to make up for her dressing in a whole little bit of leather. Uh, I do like the fact, though, that it is through Talon that we get more of the background of Crate um, in that he has imparted that upon her to impart upon him. Um, it shows more trust in Talon than I would have expected Crate to necessarily provide, unless Alsith happened to know his background. I can't imagine that to be the case. Um, yeah, but we find that he... Uh, chased a bounty. A after he left Tatooine, he became a bounty hunter. Chases down an individual known as Resk, and he, he apparently has some kind of cybernetic arm at this point to replace the one that Kenobi blasted off 
and he kills Resk um, rather than letting him, you know, reveal that that Crate is or that uh, Asherod is a Jedi. And it was in going to Korriban to find Resk that he winds up being drawn to a holocron with the teachings of Zuxan, or however you're supposed to say it, who is now said to be one of the original Jedi exiles. And in that sense, she is an early version of a Sith and talks about how um, he, unlike many Sith, don't just know the dark side, but knows what it's like to have essentially been someone in the light side, serving it, finding it empty, finding it lacking, and instead turning to the dark side to embrace a different path, which is what causes him to accept her teachings, take the holocron, and he will then go on to learn from her, which I thought was you know another one of these interesting things. I, I would almost say the most interesting thing about Claws of the Dragon, you know, I, I like Cade's arc in it, but I would say at least equal to that, if not cooler, is to see the arc that Darth mm-hmm. Crate followed in becoming Crate in the first place. Yeah, I'm a super big fan of flashbacks like this, and the way this delivers is really cool. Now, I had a, I noticed something, and it, and it just struck me that when Crate goes to Korriban, the whole scene kind of plays out like Kotor. You know, uh, he goes there, he's got the moment, he can make the light side or dark side choice, he makes the dark side choice, he cuts the guy's head off, bounty's the same, dead or alive. Dun, 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 the red glow, he gets a reveal, you did something dark side in a dark side location, what's this? Het, Asherod Het, as a reward for your dark behavior, you're gonna be the first person to ever come into this chamber to get this holocron to appear and talk to you. And and, and it works, though, but it, it had that feeling like, like, if he'd have made the other decision, maybe that holocron would have stayed hidden or something, you know? Like, I like the way that played out. And then even though he does all this and he goes, yeah, Master, I am, there's that aspect that we find out as it plays on farther that he was still kind of telling himself that he wasn't playing it. I mean, earlier he's talking to, to uh, Warlock, and he, he talks about how, uh, you know, he appeals to darkness within darkness. You know, he goes, by creating a bond with Skywalker, I will connect to the darkness within him. He will come to understand the power he possesses, how alike he and I are. And to that degree, it's like by telling these backstories and stuff, it can show Kate that, you know, even a Jedi can fall. And, and telling it him to him in a way that he can understand it, in a way that he can kind of maybe even do a Jason Solo and kind of get behind and that moves us to what we've been expecting, I think, ever since Talon was the one assigned to train Cade. Uh, they're standing in an area that's, that has a lot of a fiery uh, background uh, uh, visages here. I'm not quite sure exactly how it's working. It seems like it, the fire changes shape depending on how they're standing. Um, she talks about, to him about how darkness... Well, it's it's co- the fire that's in front of the statue of Zoxen. Right. Because in the first panel, you see him standing there, so it must be a really big chamber with a lot of shifting winds. That's a lot of fire. Um, but suffice to say, you know, she says, you know, how darkness calls to darkness. It calls to you. You can feel it like a heart beating within this temple. How will you respond? And at that point, um, the lights dim, and you hear the kind of stuff apparently starting in the background because he... Um, takes her into his arms, and they start uh, making Whoopi, uh, which, of course, is the moment at which one of the bugs with the spy camera finds him. So not only do they see it and realize where he is, um, see him with the Sith causing Jiraiya to not be sure, you know, what happens if we find him and he doesn't want to leave, causes Morgan to essentially say, look, you know, if he's still, if he has gone Sith, then she dies or he does, because if he's Sith, he's no longer her son. But we also get 
Yeah, because um, like, come on now, played, Blue's reaction's the best. Yeah, That's the one we're all waiting for. But it's played subtly there. There's a lot of dialogue between Morrigan and Jariah, and even with Key being the one speaking in the image where they first see it. But we see uh, her behind with sort of a shocked look on her face, and then while the dialogue, quite a bit, is going on between Morrigan and Jariah, just in the background, we see uh, Deliah throw something into a screen, and Key... Uh, shirking back on the ground out of her area. And that's all we get well, with it, that page. It actually, the way it looks, it because it looks like what she does is she hits the screen they're watching because Key goes, guess we found him, huh? And then when she throws it, it's like now Jariah's down on the ground on one knee and Key's the, she's jumped back and out of the way. It's like, it happens so fast. And it is such the reaction I was expecting from Blue. I'm like, this can't possibly end well. I mean, you know, it's like that classic moment. Now here, here the main guy star is, he's dating two girls and one of them is found out. But he don't know it yet, but we do. And then, of course, that shifts us back to Cade's location, where Cade has just, uh, uh, with Darth Talon, and she reports to, um, to Darth Crate about how she's deepened the bond between them. She reports that he really is a liar and is just pretending to be one of them, uh, at which point Crate references Quinlan Boss about the whole idea that one who plays it being the dark side, uh, one's lie nearly becomes the truth and that sort of thing. It's also telling, too, from a Dark Empire point of view, because he goes, he was pulled back from the edge by those close to him, allies and friends who sensed good is still in him. Cade Skywalker is not a good man, as that Jedi of old. And he has distanced himself from all who might help him. Because that's what saved Luke in the end, was the love mm -hmm. of his sister. Right, he says, you know, for Cade, there should be no escape. What he thinks is a lie is his truth. The darkness in him calls out, and he will become one of us by his own choice. Although the funniest thing to me about this scene is the fact that after being mostly naked, every time we've ever seen her, Darth Talon feels the need after sex with Cade in contacting Darth Crate to get up and basically put on what amounts to a Sith-like robe-slash-hood thing, which is the most clothed we ever see the character. Is this, this must be her talk of shame? I guess, something like that. She's like, and, and where did the cloak come from? Was this Cade's? Because if it was hers, we sure have never seen it before. And, you know, if if you're going to, I mean, I guess there's a, a matter of propriety. <laughs> put it on before she talks to Crate, but it's not like Crate hasn't seen a whole lot more beforehand. I would have expected this to be drawn with her basically staying in shadow, speaking nude or something to him. Um, I, I'm not, I, I guess part of me wonders if there's some kind of symbolism that we're supposed to be seeing with yeah. With, with the cloak that perhaps she's putting it on as a way that, you know, it's in, in covering herself more. It's like she's distancing herself from Cade, who is still in the room while she makes this call. Um, because well, it I certainly is not a look we think, see much. I think it's Cade's, and I think it's like a letterman's jacket. She's wearing it kind of as proof, you know, and then she goes, I've deepened the bond. You know, so it's like, it's like yeah, I'm, I'm, we're steady. We're steady, boss. So it's like I she's like, wearing his, his business shirt with nothing yeah, else or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, wow. like, mission accomplished. I'm in his room. I'm wearing his clothes. The deed is done. I don't need to tell you because we're going to keep it PG-13, but we... Yeah, yeah it's like saying, <laughs> see? See, look what I'm wearing, boss. I got it. Uh, Come on, look, Crate. You know what we did. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know what I mean. You expect Crate to turn around and, and smile at Stifler from American freaking pie or something. <laughs> uh, dude! Anyway, um, that shifts us to Osis and one of those, hey, guys, don't forget... Those other characters are still on Osis, remember? The other Jedi who barely well, wind up getting a chance to appear. We find that Joker Squad is still searching, finds the Jedi, finds, actually finds a, 
the Vong and the Jedi, Kakrook and Shado and Wolf and whatnot, and they're able to use essentially a mind trick to get Joker Squad to walk away, except Strife still expects that the Jedi are still down there and says, basically, you know what? Screw it! And just orders a bombardment that blasts the, the remnants of the Jedi Temple there. Well, I just want to say, while this scene and all this stuff is playing out, you know, we get a little bit of it in one issue, a little bit more in another. I think it's playing out better here, Kakruk's story, than it ever did in the first few arcs of Dark Times. It's like, kudos to that. They at least, you know, they, they've done a good job of keeping him relevant while keeping it small. <laughs> but I like the moment that, you know, that they did the whole, wait a second, and, and Shadow's like, there is no one on Osis. It is time to leave. Never mind, there's just a shadow. There's nothing here. Time to leave, Sarge. And, you know, the Vong wanted wait, to do wait. all this stuff. There's just a shadow, and his name is Shadow. Ah! <laughs> and isn't Somebody's there a character, funny. isn't there a character in, oh, crap, what is it? Is it, no, I think it's, um, I think it's Arrow on, on a CW or whatever they're calling themselves yeah. now. Um, there's a character named, spelled Shadow, S-H-A-D-O, except pronounced Shadow on that. So <laughs> it is just a Shadow, kind nice. of. When I like how, you know, Strafe, he goes, I still smell Jedi. And it makes sense because, you know, they just use the Force. So, of course, if he was already feeling like he was sensing them, it's like that's got to, you know, pretty much all but guarantee it, you know. And and so, of course, he's like just, you know, eradicate the temple, which from a long-term Eve, and this was a, this was a tragic moment because the temple that Luke built is gone. Yeah, but at the same time, you got to sit back and wonder, you know, if I'm the one Sith and I don't give a crap, uh, and, and I know that this is a planet that doesn't even have any sentient life on it anyway, more than likely, why not just show up and bombard the living hell out of it? Why bother to search? It, unless, unless you're wanting to just confirm that, yes, the Jedi were there before you blow them up, but you could just as easily blow up everything and go down there and search for bodies, and that'd be less of a risk to your troopers and to anybody else, like another Sith Lord perhaps, going down there at all. I don't know, it just sort of felt <laughs> like, you know, it was it was like... Uh, it's like Joker Squad was the dude in Spaceballs combing the desert. <laughs> Only instead of falling for it, he's just going to blow it all up anyway, so why bother, you know? Well, speaking of falling, I, our next issue starts out deep in the underlevels of the Sith Temple, which, and I want to I want to start out because it's got Cade hanging upside down in an Embrace of Pain. This is a great scene, another one of my favorite flashback moments here, dealing with the retcon that I was saying we were going to get to in a later episode in the first issue of these episodes here. But the thing I wanted to ask you is, okay, we're in an underlevel, and it kind of looks like they're in the middle of a tube when they first show it and there's an embrace of pain in here. It's like, didn't this seem like an odd place to be conducting this little experiment? Like why in the under levels of the temple and why in something that looks like a conduit and why not just in a closed secluded room? I mean, is this where an embrace of pain just happens to be growing? And so you're going to go there and use it. Like it just was a weird moment for me. And I just now looking at it, stopping like, it just seems like a weird place to have an embrace of pain. Yeah, that or just maybe just to have the security of it or the seclusion so that he can tell more of his story to Cade, assuming that the other Sith don't know it. You know, and with Talon True. being able to explain part of it to Cade, I wonder how many Sith actually know the background and how well, many don't, and why she, is it Talon of all people knew? Well, when she says it, she says she called it our legend. So, I mean, it, I would say in the fact that she's calling it a legend, not a fact, that it's got to be something that probably the, the Sith all know. And Krayat probably knows they know, but unlike Luke, he didn't sit down in his academy and go, yes, my father was Darth Vader. Or in his case, I was once a Jedi like my father before me. But 
I think it's one of those things where they know about it and he's kind of let that build his reputation in a sense. Because, I mean, why else call it a legend if you know because the character's still alive and he could confirm it as fact? Right. So he winds up, we wind up learning that uh, Crate has been on, was on Korban longer than he thought with the, the holocron of Zoksan. And by the time he emerges, the Empire has fallen, the New Republic era has begun. He tries to basically get to somewhere else, somewhere unknown, so that he can continue his studies and that sort of thing without uh, being drawn into galactic events and such, winds up running into, of all things, the Yuzhan freaking Vong. Uh, which is when he is bested by their biotech or whatever you want to call it. He has his uh, cybernetic arm removed and replaced by a Yuzhan Vong type of arm, and he meets Verger, who admits to being trained by Palpatine, which is one of those tweaks to her storyline that I've always kind of you know, been like, okay, when was that decision made? Um, well, we learn essentially that she is a Sith pawn working for Palpatine. She has her own goals in mind and is actually trying to shape Crate into what she winds up being able to shape Jason Solo into mm-hmm. significantly later. But here she is, decades before that, trying it on Crate, which is when he has a vision of the concept of the one Sith, and she basically decides, you know, you've got your own destiny of what you're trying to do, your own goals. If you're not going to follow the goals I want you to follow, then screw you. I'm out of here. I'm going to find somebody else in the future. So when the time comes for her and the Vong to move on, she just basically abandons Crate on that ship instead of killing him, which she probably should have done. And he manages to free himself, kill a whole bunch of Vong, uh, steal a ship, and destroy the ship he had been on, allowing that to be the way that he hides the fact that he escaped. And while the Yuzhan Vong invasion is going on, he goes and hides out, uh, and it is during that that he starts building up the one Sith, gets with the first Darth Weirlock to put him in stasis briefly, to, so that the Vong things that were put inside his body while in Verger's custody aboard the Vong ship um, can't consume him and such until finally being able to reemerge. We get some great imagery to go with this uh, along the way, especially a cool image of, of uh, almost reminds me of Skeletor in Masters of the Universe, where this image <laughs> yeah. of Darth Krayt's face... Uh, above sort of a flaming backdrop of Predator starfighters destroying things, uh, Sith versus Jedi and the like. Um, and we get this, this basically just this cool instance in which we finally find out the, the rest of the story, if you want to call it that, as Paul Harvey might say, um, of what's going on with Crate until he finally reveals to, uh, to Cade that the growths that were caused by the coral seeds the Vong implanted continue to grow, threatening to consume him, and in order for his vision to be realized, he needs healing. Um, and unfortunately, Cade looks at him, uh, seeing those red lines that guide him, but there are just too freaking many of them all jumbled, jumbled together that at this point, Cade is not ready to be able to do that. And that's why Crate wants to continue to turn him into a servant of the dark side, keep him in the embrace of pain, etc., etc., until he finally breaks and is willing to save Crate, but it seems See, like I was under the impression know. he was saying yet because he really couldn't do it, or he yeah. was holding out and using that as a lure because it's right after that he decides to heck with this, I'm out. Uh, but I don't know, there was a moment there at the beginning when you know, when Vergere's talking, they go, There were claims she herself was a student of Darth Sidious and fled the galaxy when her attempt to kill him failed, but lies and truth were her only means to an end to her, as I was to learn. And so it's like, the way it's coming from his perspective, it's like it could almost be like she used those 
lies as her own truce to get her own. Like, it's left vague enough that you could wonder one way or the other, but he continues to go on about how she claimed this and she was claimed to be all those things. So that's kind of like the death knell for anyone that was hoping that that wasn't going to be retconned. Um, but when, when he's talking about his vision with the one Sith and, you know, th- when she decides that they're going to do it differently, uh, I thought it was more like, you know, he's talking about orders and she's talking about individual Sith. Uh, you know, he goes, the Jedi, the Jedi will not do it. A new order of Sith must be created in secret. My Sith will be many, but they will be one. The order itself above all power magnified by its focus. And she goes, that will take time and Skywalker's Jedi will grow stronger. Lord Bane said that power cannot be shared. So now if Skywalker's group is getting stronger and they can't share power, then in that sense, Kreat's group has to go into hiding. I mean, that that's kind of where I was coming from this, you know, and then, uh, you know, he goes, well, when they began, the Sith were many. Bane changed the rules and changed the Sith. Now I will change them again. And that's what she's like. Well, you're following a different path. You can't follow mine when you're walking your own. And so that's what she leaves him. But I, I kind of took it as he came away with that idea of, you know, if Skywalker's group's going to grow, then mine has to disappear. And that was kind of where I came from with that conversation was that he came to that realization. Granted, it's not there, but that's that's how I read it. It's basically him saying that he is going to redefine the Sith and redefine different things that have always been taken for granted. Uh, uh, if he had known to use the word, he could simply have looked at Berger and said, I'm taking a Lucasian approach to matters because he's just basically pulling a, a George Lucas. I'm just going to change what the hell a Sith is. So deal with it. Um, but yeah, Cade decides at that moment that the time is to get the heck out of there. That's his moment to try to basically save Hosk, makes his way to Malady's lab where Hosk has been held only to wind up with Talon being there to meet him and knocking him out. Uh, he and Hosk are then brought in front of Crate. Hosk doesn't want him to sacrifice anything to save Hosk himself. Crate uh, kills Hosk, and we get a uh, a message through the Force from Hosk, who manages to disappear. And granted, this is long after 1999, so it's a big deal that he actually disappears. Um, uh, we get from the uh, a voice in the Force: "There is no death. The Force will be with you, Cade Skywalker." And as and, Cade and is you about to also assume that that was the Bothan. I mean, because when yeah. I reread it on the next page, I was like, oh, "Well, maybe it was not the Bothan." No, that, that's Hosk. That's Hosk the Bothan. Um, but then we see Cade essentially getting ready to attack um, a crate, and we get this, uh, uh, you know, I'll kill you! Anger, good, take the saber, claim your dark legacy. And the spirit of Cole, which up to this point, uh, there was a big deal a couple of arcs ago about how Cole Skywalker, it's like he's not speaking to Cade. That Cade, um, Cade wants to be able to, to make amends with his father in a sense, uh, feeling like he is so responsible for what all happened on Osis. Now, Cole's, Cole appears, essentially, to Cade, telling him that which can heal can also break, which apparently, it, it seems like it's kind of a combination of the idea of what he could do to Crate, given the, the, the fissures and stuff and shatter points, but also the fact that Cole Skywalker's lightsaber is right there in the glass case, which at this point is cracked, and Cade can use the Force to shatter it, as if he couldn't have just done it with, you know, a Force push or something, um, allowing him to fire shards of glass at uh, his enemies to distract them and take up uh, the lightsaber as a means of then getting into battle. He winds up giving a, a stab wound to the unarmored... Duh, this is why you don't dress like that woman! Uh, the unarmored Darth Talon's stomach... Um, 
And this is when things really start to finally come to a head. Um, as he winds up in a battle that will include Crate and Darth Nil, here comes the Minoc uh, with that team aboard it, seeing where the battle is taking place, seeing the flashes and stuff through the window as they near the, the, the peak of the temple. And there's Cade uh, fighting with Nil, uh, fighting with Crate, or about to fight with Crate, and no matter you know how heroic it seems, he's fighting the Sith. We see in the last panel that he is doing a Sith Eye thing. He's fighting in anger. He's fighting uh, in a way that his father, whose spirit just appeared to him, would not want him to fight, leaving us with the question of how will this turn out as we move toward issue number 19. Well, and that, that's something about what the father said that struck me as weird, because, like, while you point out, you know, yeah, the, the, the glass was broken, obviously that's what it was, you know, Cade, open your mind, your heart, to me. Listen, father... That which can heal can also break. And I found that was like a very dangerous thing to be telling him. It's like, okay, you're using a very dark side power to heal. And now your dad's telling you to use that dark side healing power to break things. Wait, wasn't that what you said you were going to do to her in the last issue? Like, oh, if I can make you explode. Like, so I was like, that doesn't seem like a good way to go. Yeah, and it's definitely not news if he had already thought of it as something he could do to uh, talent. But it's, you know, it's always nice to see a... Uh, a Jedi show up and tell someone to free their mind and the rest will follow and all that 90s stuff. Um, <laughs> but I like the, the I like the Bothan before he dies. Mm -hmm. You know, Cade does the leave him alone, no one dies for me. Then take this saber and strike me down. Use all your anger, all your hate. Nothing less will make me pause. And the Bothan goes, no, do not let him turn me into a weapon against you. You cannot save me by giving in to the dark side. You are a fool, Bothan. This is Cade Skywalker, the man who sold you to us for the Jedi bounty on your head. I know. He also tried to rescue me. Deep in your prisons in the hours of my darkest despair, I would think of Cade's act of sacrifice and draw strength from it. Whatever Cade has done, I forgive him. In his, He is finding his way, however reluctantly. He is becoming a Skywalker in truth as well as name. You, he goes, I will not die for you, Cade Skywalker, but I will die. I am a Jedi. I do not fear death. At this moment, in this terrible, once serene place, I think I feel greater happiness, a deeper peace than I will ever know. I even forgive you, Lord Crayot. I can feel the fear that drives you and the pain that drives your anger. You crossed over to the dark side to survive. I pity you and the man you must have once been. And Crayot goes, do not, I do not pity. And he ignites his blade and then cuts him down, you know. And then, of course, that's what drives, you know, Cade to the and all that but that moment was cool because while he dies for Cade in Cade's eyes in a sense he also redeems Cade and forgives Cade and you know allows that moment to pass where Cade can later be like you know it wasn't my fault even though it was but he gives him that kind of moral out mm -hmm. that brings us into issue number 19 which begins with uh, the conflict is already going on at the temple the Minoc is zooming in and, of course, they're ready for action, right? Morgan Cord is there. She's got her Boba Fett-style jetpack. She's got her enormous gun, and she's got a couple of water balloons ready to... Oh, wait, those aren't water oh, balloons. Oh, I thought you were going to say enormous something uh, else. Yeah. It's, no, it's, just, it's, it's another of those why make that decision with the, the costume set up and whatever. Um, suffice to say that they well, are coming in... Imagine how much weirder it would have been, though, if the likenesses would have been reversed. If the Morgan Cord likeness was the Imperial Moth, and the Imperial Moth likeness was the bounty hunter, and Jarrell was hitting on... 
Mrs. Adams. I mean, that, that, that would have been a lot more creepy. I mean, at least behind this, like, there's a certain male part of me that kind of gets where sin's coming from, that sinner. I am Elvira, mistress of the dark, or whatever. Um, so she jumps out, and I, I think this was kind of a cool moment to have her go out to try to give cover to Cade with a jetpack and the big cannon, because she can't leave. I mean, she is Nina Calixta. She needs to be there on Coruscant to maintain her cover. So as they blow up, all the little bugs that they sent in as spies to cause this distraction. Uh, and uh, at Calixta's order, basically, um, uh, Morlish Veed has, or supposed to have, the different mm -hmm. predator craft back off from the temple, which, you know, he doesn't realize is meant to allow Morrigan slash uh, Nina to be able to get Cade to safety. Um, kind of all hell is breaking loose, but it separates her from the Minot crew. So that not only do, of course, we have an excuse for her to stay on Coruscant, but we also have an excuse for us to get just this this brief hint that maybe Cade is going to meet his mother, which we've been waiting for since we saw back, I guess it was trust issues, only no. No, we're not going to get that just yet. That becomes a teaser for later, just like having Gunner in it uh, is a tease for later. Well, and we have that moment also where Gunner's swooping in again, so you're like, you know, is she going to shoot her mom? Is she going to shoot Cade? Is she going to shoot Cade's friends? I mean, and then, of course, you know, the signal. Oh, very subtle. I mean, you know, she did tell him he'd recognize it. This is true. Um, Cade continues fighting. He cuts off one of Darth Nil's arms, and apparently slicing through arms now includes a blast of, of, of light. I mean, that's, that's not what it's meant to be. It's meant to just be the cut there, but I thought it was kind of funny that it seems like it's blasting orange light, or green light, which would make sense of that weird flame-looking bit that was coming off of the uh, uh, the arm stump of Asherod Hit back a couple issues ago. Uh, well, we also see the tread pattern of Cade's uh, shoes there. I mean, great attention to detail there. This <laughs> oh, is he's true. got lugs! But the, the battle continues on, and Crate finally is the one to step in and directly battle Cade, even as the Predators are attacking the Minoc. They do finally draw away Though, of course, Gunner has to say, you know, that this isn't over yet. There's going to be another confrontation between her and Cade and the Minoc a little while later on in the series. But we continue seeing the battle um, between these two that we've wanted to see in combat. We've wanted to see Cade versus Crate really since the beginning of the series. And here Cade is just, he's all Sith-eyed, he's taunting Crate. You know, it's, it's almost like two dark figures battling as opposed to it being one that we could think of as a light side type of character by any means um Ooh, good good description yeah well and what i like too is because right before that he's cade's got nil on the ground and he's doing the force blast nil's eyes are wide open and of course cray it's taunting him on you know he's the guy that killed your father kill him it'll only make you stronger no why and cade's response is just explosive i mean because you want me to and that gets back to that thing you know where we were talking in in our earlier talks of the earlier arcs about how he wants to be command of his own destiny. And I think that that, that rage and everything he's been doing in the last three months or, or three weeks or however long it was, has all come to this point where, you know, he realizes that Kray has been manipulating him. And at this point he's done with it. It's like, I'm done doing what you want. At which point Kray should stop and say, Oh, okay. Then don't you dare follow the dark side. Don't you dare heal me, son. <laughs> Use that you don't want psychology. the dark side. <laughs> yeah. So we get to a point where, and I find it interesting that we don't actually get to see how this truly would have played out. Um, we see Cade down 
about to receive a slash from Crate, not knowing whether it's going to be a killing blow or not, but we don't get to tell because that's when Morrigan blasts in with that enormous cannon through the window, hitting Crate, injuring him long enough to allow K uh, Cade to escape, which it's, it's interesting that we get sort of this parallel to The Empire Strikes Back with the shape of the window and everything, except in this case, instead of it being... Um, uh, an attack by the Darksider cr breaking the window and having the, the hero yanked out uh, without having a choice. Cade, at this point, he's seen the Minoc outside, I believe. Um, Crate says, don't be a fool, there's no escape through that window, it's a sheer drop. If you jump, you die, and doom the galaxy to chaos. Even then, Crate is still trying to, to make the case that the Sith are order, they need Crate, and since they need Crate, they need Cade to heal Crate. Uh, at which point he says, you know, the galaxy can look after my itself, and leaps out the window, landing on the Minoc, which I think everybody expected, everybody expected that moment. You know, the hero jumps out the window or falls. Of course, there's going to be a ship that zips by and catches him. We saw that in the Force Unleashed also. Only yeah. he does slip for a moment and almost fall into the engines, which I thought was kind of um, a surprising moment before Sin pulls him back in and and they get to have their great, uh, woo, that was good, you know, that whole uh, embrace and everything. just like your next rap, boy. Yeah, which, which is good where he's like, yeah, and and by the way, yeah, yeah, Delia's pissed at you. He's like, what did I do? You know, it's like, it's like yeah. yeah, it's not so much what you did as who you did. Okay, son. Um, and it, it's funny because then I think because of a coloring error, the very next panel yeah. where he walks into the, 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 the cockpit to tell Chuck to get out of his seat, he looks like Nina, or, or he looks like, <laughs> I'll be honest, you know out. who he looks like to me? He looks like Chiana from Farscape. I mean, I'm not even <laughs> talking about the pro. skin tone. I'm talking about the skin tone and all of his look. He looks like a cross between Mobius, the living vampire from the Marvel stuff, oh, and yes. Chiana from Farscape. They really need to go back and recolor that panel. Uh, maybe they did for the trade paperback, for all I know. But um, it is as they're getting ready to leave, um, they says, uh, you know, you sold my ship to the Wookiee, and we'll see how this plays out later. Uh, don't blame me. It was your mom's idea. My what? Right, and then she, you know, says, you know, here's what you need to do. I've got my only exit, my own exit via the Undercity. Blah blah blah. You know, who the hell are you? Your mother. Look, Kate, I know you have a lot of questions, but now is not the time to chat. Your friends have risked their lives to save you. Do your mother a favor and escape with your hide intact. I'm gonna find you again, lady, and then I'll get some answers. No, you won't. So we still have that lingering question. He knows his mother is out there, and now he can learn about his mother to a degree from Jiraiya and Delia and any records on Morrigan Cord. But he misses that opportunity to meet her face to face. And I thought that was a cool moment um, to leave that dangling and not try to cram everything that we want to see into Claws of the Dragon. Um, we then get Crate just absolutely, you know, angered. You know, Nils on the ground. He's missing an arm. Malady's tending to Talon, who got stabbed through the gut. Uh, and it, it, apparently, Cade stabbed her a little higher that time than he was back before when they were bouncing about. Um, and Crate. Uh, I mean, just the look on his face when he says, find him. Um, I mean, that is a look of desperate freaking panic that I would not have expected to see on Crate. I think it's the way his eyes are drawn and the um, the way that I think the mouth How being open, open. his mouth is. Yeah, yeah. and with, without seeing the top of his actual mouth, seeing just like the, the, the mouth on that helmet makes it look like, holy crap, what are we going to do, boss? Kind of stuff. Well, and 
the talk bubbles, they've been using that one, like like I said, when when Cade screamed, because you want me to, and then stay away from my son. There are all these powerful emotional parts where they use that jagged instead of the round circle. But when Crayot does it, it's not only just jagged, but there's a red rimmed edge around it. So it's like, ooh, he's angry because there's a lot of red involved. <laughs> you know, something else I want to point out, though, that, that we kind of jumped by really fast. You mentioned that while he was in the Vong, uh, he lost his arm. They also replaced his eye, which is why he later has a robotic eye down the road. They gave him one of those uh, parables or whatever they were called that Naminor had in his eye at one point. And they, they, they did a good job of making the one eye green in certain scenes to kind of il- illustrate that. And you also saw when they talked about it, they had the, the little thing in their hands as they were coming near him. And then the next scene is a one eye is green from there on. But he gets a robotic eye later. Because I remember that when, when it was all, who's Krayat? You know, a lot of people were like, well, maybe it's Naminor. Maybe he didn't die, you know, because they were trying to go off of the eyes. And they're like, well, it's got like this Imperial logo look to it. Well, maybe it's robotic. Like nobody knew what was going on at that point. You know, and some figured out the tattoos on the chin and kind of were able to place it together. But the tattoos are different than they were of Asherod Het when he was just going without the mask. They're thicker now, full thick lines, where before they were kind of like little dotted and stuff. So, I mean, like you did kind of have to apply a little bit of, of dots behind the scenes to kind of really dial in. But there were people that did it. So kudos to them because I was I was focused on those eyes trying to go that route. Yeah, and we do get a quick close-up of those eyes on that same page with the whole find him. You see the Sith eye in one eye, and you see sort of that blue one, the cybernetic one you were talking about. He says, I want Skywalker brought back to me alive and in chains. I will break him, and then I will use him, and then I will kill him. Yeah, you and everybody else who winds up being featured on Investigation Discovery, pal. Get in line. Um, That leads us into sort of the denouement, the wrap-up of the story, in which we see Morlish... Um, he's in Nina's apartment, or I guess, yeah, I'm assuming she's in, uh, he's in hers, not she's in his. Um, yeah, the jetpack's there against the wall, if you She is basically it. taking a shower that must be changing her skin tone back to cadaverous. Um, she does something with her face that I guess is changing it. I guess it's just the water we're supposed to assume. She uses what looks like a beam on her eye to change her eye color, I assume. Um... But he happens to come across her little, um, it's, it's like a bracelet slash necklace. Because I think at one point she was wearing it around her, her neck um, yeah. that has the little hologram in it. Thank goodness he didn't press the button and turn it on yeah. at that moment. It may, maybe it's coded to her DNA or something like that. But she goes and she puts on her, uh, her, her eyeliner, making her look even more gothy. Um, and is back in the uniform, and it is the Nina Calixti that we know, but at the same time, everything about what we expect of the character has been changed by this arc. And there's a point at which, as he's about to run for the window and jump out, she yells, run! And we don't know who's saying run, it's just like a little disconnected voice bubble that says, run! And then here she is whispering to herself after he leaves as she's looking at the hologram, run! And we know that it was her doing it, and... um, we see what appears to be yet another image of these similar images of Cole with Nina slash Morgan with baby Kate. I'm wondering if this is meant to not be like a still hollow, but a video. And that's oh. why we're seeing slightly different poses every time that they show us this hologram. That's um, slick. But it made for a nice cool ending because we had just seen an ending similar to that where she, the first time we ever were like, who the heck is this lady? Showed the hologram to herself before she headed off. Um, instead of chasing Cade down in an earlier story arc. So it makes a nice coda to the whole thing. It really felt like 
this issue and this arc was the culmination of the entire first couple of years of this series. We're ready to move on to a new phase of Legacy. But of course, yeah. it'll actually be Vector that they think of in Dark Horse terms as being the one that sets everything off into a new stage. But this one certainly had that game changer feel to it that this could almost have been a series ender. I'm glad it wasn't. Mm-hmm. But it could almost have been a series in order to set up something later, like a mini series to wrap it up, like Legacy War or something, because it does have so much crammed into these six issues, so much that we wanted to see that finally came without making us wait years and years and years to finally get it. Well, I mean, I get that, you know, these six issues created an arc, but at that moment when Cade jumped out the window and they show that one panel that takes up the entire page where the Sith Temple is burning up above, you know, the throne room and he's falling out sideways. Like, that would have been a great place to have a to-be-continued, you know. I mean, I think they could have ended it right there, and I'd have been just as happy. Uh, but the, everything that goes on beyond that is that wrap-up that you were talking about. It gives you that really cool closure feel. But when Morlish is inside Nyx's apartment, Nina's apartment, uh, whatever her name is, <laughs> it, it just strikes me as weird that he's isn't, standing... Isn't Nyx, uh, Irek Ismarin, yes, Barry or yes. something? Okay. Yes, exactly. I keep getting his in there. The Nyx character, he's in Nyx's apartment. But Morgan Cord's jetpack sitting on the outside, and apparently Naya's already in the shower, so he's let himself in. Yes, that bracelet's there, so again, he got lucky. She got lucky that he didn't just trigger it, but literally, she's inside taking the shower and changing costumes, so he had to come after she was already in the shower, or how in the hell did she get in the apartment with him, get into that room without him noticing that, hey, Morgan Cord went in, but Naya came out. Yeah, I just assumed that he must have shown up after the fact, like she got there and let him know that she was back or his spies or whatever knew that she was back. So, you know, he shows up to to find out what's going on. But she should have been more careful with where she put her stuff uh, yeah. for, a, for a super secret agent with a super secret double life. She's kind of clumsy with where she leaves that um, that hologram thing. You know, it's a family heirloom. Oh, really? Why have I never seen this before? Um, yeah, no reason. <laughs> Now, another interesting thing is I believe this is another one of those moments where we get the interesting look inside the bathroom in the Star Wars galaxy. I believe this is the first time we've actually seen a sonic shower or whatever it is. That ain't sonic. That's water. Yeah, it looks full on water. But my next question, though, is uh, when she's saying in the panel, you won't succeed it or concede it, it doesn't even really kind of look like it's water maybe. But maybe that she's like you were saying, maybe that's what's changing the skin tone. Like maybe that's making her pale white because, yeah, she definitely when she comes out. She's gone back to very her skin is very very white and oh you know what it is I figured it out a powderer no she is she's afflicted with the same condition as the Jack Nicholson version of the Joker in Batman with Michael Keaton oh right she's white for real she's all pale and deathly and all the 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 flesh tones are actually the makeup she I gets a grin again <laughs> and again yeah I mean that could actually work. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that this is one of those moments that, again, solidified why this is my favorite Star Wars comic series, because it has payoff of things that have been built over time, very much like, say, Knights of the Old Republic does. But I think this one, in terms of consistency in its era and the fact that I like the darker-edged Cade Skywalker character, um, I've always liked sort of the, the fighting the dark side from the inside and how it corrupts people. That's why Ulick Keldroma is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. Um, I think that works very, very well here. Uh, 
So to me, this was this was a nice thing to solidify why this series should go on for quite a long time to come, and it will. We're only on issue nineteen mm-hmm. out of you know fifty plus war. Mm-hmm. Well, and Cade's a conflicted character. That's been something that appealed to me right out the gate. Uh, now he's got what, in a sense, Jason Solo went after. He's got training from the Sith. I mean, he spent at least a month in their quote unquote care. Learning all those nice ways to be a Sith Lord. Uh, so, I mean, he's got that aspect. He now has the training, and yet he's still kind of a free agent. I mean, he knows kind of what's good, but he's also not quite accepting of the Jedi and, and embracing that lifestyle. Uh, but he is doing more things that are more closer or in line with the Jedi way. So there's still that appeal there. And yet at the same time, there's that mystery as to what will he do next? I mean, you know, I kind of, when this, when this art came out, I was like hoping he was going to go the dark side route. I wanted to see that again, especially as they were retconning that Jason kind of fell. Cause I wanted a rogue Jedi. I wanted someone that was like, you know, I'm going to rise above the bad and I'm just going to, to full on tool it. You know, I'm going to use this as a tool and I'm going to separate myself emotionally so I can do that without it leaving a stain on myself. And, you know, so far that hasn't really worked with any character. So it was like, you know, we're at a point now where that could work with Cade and, you know, where we end up going later, it, it's, it's a fun ride. And I don't know, for me, this is like right when you get on the freeway and you're in a five speed and you're in fourth gear and you just hit 65, 70 miles an hour and you're about to hit fifth gear and just go for it. You know, I mean, that's that's where I feel like we're at in the overall series. Uh, this is one of my favorite arcs. I love the flashbacks. You know, I, I'm big into the lore, and anytime it, it ties back into things, it like you know, it doesn't have to spell out everything, but anytime it ties back in and it gives you a character, like in this case, how, how you said it, it kind of was Krayt's arc. I really enjoyed that because you know, I did like that character in the past. I wanted to see more, and honestly, when they revealed him at this point. I thought we were actually going to step closer to a point where Cade wouldn't be the one to finally take him out. I honestly kind of thought Kakruk would. I really thought that at the end it would be Kakruk or uh, Sitar or whatever her name is, the Neti Jedi that was also from the New Jedi Order, or, I mean the uh, Old Republic. I, I kind of thought they would be like, you know, this is an Old Republic Jedi problem and we need to take care of this. I mean, I really saw that was going to be the direction. I thought, you know, Kakruk and him, they fought back together, back side by side, back in Salishkrum. Uh, back when they fought against all the uh, the clones of the uh, the Nikto, uh, when they were doing that back there in that battle in the Old Republic in the Clone War era. So, you know, I really, I was thinking like maybe Cade wouldn't have to do it. You know, maybe somehow that he would get out of it. Because there is that one side of me that has always kind of hinted around, you know, that Anakin Skywalker has been the chosen one. But I don't look at it so much as he was the chosen one, but he was the creator, or as Krayt said it, the sire of the Skywalker line, and that the Skywalker bloodline is the chosen one. That it started with Anakin, but because Anakin had kids, that the will of the Force or destiny or whatever it is always found a way to put that bloodline back into the most critical points of the timeline. You know, whether it be Anakin Solo or Jason Solo or Anya Solo or Cade Skywalker or Ben Skywalker or Luke himself or Anakin. They have all found themselves in key moments in galactic history that turn the tide one way or the other. And, you know, I've always attributed that to the Chosen One bloodline, that by having the blood at all, you were chosen, you had a destiny. And so, you know, it's kind of cool to watch and play with that. And And so... You know, there's that one side where, you know, you felt like, okay, well, it's going to be Cade, but I was kind of leaning on that aspect of it would have been cool to see the old Republic Jedi take care of an old Republic Jedi problem, but they didn't go that route. So it, I'm curious to see where they're going to continue. Cause you know, as we said in the legacy volume two, 
Kakruk's still around. He's still leading the Jedi and stuff. So that story is still running of what's going on with those old Jedi. So it's, it's kind of fun to see that kind of aspect of, you know, there are Jedi that had survived through Order 66, still alive to this day. And even some of those had fallen, but there are still a group of them out there carrying on the light. Yeah, but then again, you know, you know, with Lucas, I mean, how much are we supposed to buy into the whole chosen one thing after all, especially since he took the whole prophecy and redefined it completely compared to everything else he has ever said about it with the Mortis arc of, of the Clone Wars animated series. I mean, he seems not True to that. really be, be clear on what chosen one actually means. I mean, he's gonna, next we're going to see when they put out uh, whatever the next uh, storage media is beyond Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> It'll be, uh, 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 you were the chosen one. They would say you would destroy the Sith, not join them. Or replace that weird old guy that we met on Mortis or something. Would it be visions of schizophrenia or just visions of alternate realities? I don't know, but the vision's ever changing. <laughs> Bring balance to the force and, you know, Mortis, not leave it in darkness or let it fall apart with the daughter and the son all dead and oh the hell with it screw you annie <laughs> i leave uh, you to burn little boy burn annie burn just go with burno <laughs> now uh, before we wrap up and get out of here uh, we're gonna hit the covers real fast uh issue 14 it's a simple cover I liked it. Uh, it was nice. It's got Cade sitting in a bar. He's sitting on a bar stool, and you got Chuck and you got Key, and they're kind of both up to him, and they've got a gun pressed to each one of his ribs, you know. And he's sitting there drinking a drink, kind of looking at him like, "Huh, what are you doing?" And it's got the title "Reunion with Outlaws." I like it. It's a, it's a simple cover, and you know, it doesn't do too much, but at the same time, it kind of gives you a hint of what's to come. Yeah, that one didn't really do a whole lot for me. I found it uh, interesting the color scheme. It's it's black, pink, and white, which I thought was was kind of a, an unusual choice of colors. I think it works, but it's an unusual choice of colors for a Star Wars comic cover. With a hint of orange at the bottom? Yeah, I could see that. Less of the uh, Valentine's Day issue. <laughs> now the next one, issue 15. I like it, but at the same time, I kind of feel like Cade isn't quite captured. Uh, he kind of reminds me of one of the terrorists off of uh, Die Hard, or maybe even... Uh, Boromir from Lord of the Rings. I mean, it kind of got that actor look to him. It doesn't look so much like Cade, but I like what it does. You know, it's all in the Temple of the Sith. He's chained up in his little manacles, and it's got them. They're kind of glowing, so that's creating a light that's around him. He's down on his knees with either a really cool-looking background behind him or a target. I'm not exactly sure what that's supposed to be, but obviously something inside the Sith Temple because there was a lot of those weird glowing lines inside the Sith walls, so maybe that's what it is, but... I don't know, like, this one wasn't bad, but the likeness being a little off like that, like, it isn't one of my favorites, but it is a good one. Yeah, I think the likeness being off kind of kind of throws me from this one, because it doesn't look like what we expect to see of Cade. But then again, I've seen some images of Cade where he doesn't quite look like himself anyway, so I'm willing to kind of give that a pass at this point, just kind of go, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, I do like the diehard reference, though, that he could be, you know, yippee mother sister. Um... <laughs> But what did strike me about this, and I don't think this is something that I noticed on previous readings because I usually don't pay that much attention to the covers. I just get it and start reading, is that a streak of blood going down from the cut on his uh, his upper cheekbone down yeah. uh, the side of his, his chin and that's dripping down from uh, sort of the center of his goatee. I thought that was kind of impressive. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, we get to 16. This is one, like I said, one of my favorite covers of the entire series. Uh, it's got like a uh, hazy, misty feel to it. It's kind of, it kind of reminds me of a sense of one of the Unleashed figures of Obi-Wan I have, but now he's older. 
Uh, we got Obi-Wan a little bit after episode four or uh, episode three, not four. Uh, you know, the beard, that look. And again, because he's got the twin sons behind him and the haziness of it, there's a little bit of edges missing of, you know, around him and stuff. It kind of blurs out. But I liked it. It got it kind of a sandstone look to it. And, you know, Kenobi's one of my favorite classic characters as well as prequels. So it, it can't go wrong there. Yeah, you could have used this as the cover of the Kenobi novel as well, and it would have fit just as well. Although, sure. I think the fact that it says the legacy of Obi-Wan Kenobi makes us think a little bit more about Obi-Wan's role in the overall story of legacy, and it's like we said earlier. It's Obi-Wan's freaking fault for not killing Crate for letting Crate live. If he had killed Asherod Hit, just like if he would have taken down Anakin at some point, then you know, we wouldn't have had yet another Sith Order out there. So, yeah, it's... Mm -hmm. It says the legacy of Obi-Wan, and we're like, oh, cool, it's Obi-Wan. But at the same time, it's like, oh, his legacy is that he screwed up again. In his mercy, he condemned others, like the Mon Calamari. Oh, lovely. well, and I, I like that aspect of the character, though. It's like, because he unwittingly did these things. It's not like he thought about it going in. I mean, it's kind of like uh, in Age of Ultron, when Wolverine in one of the tie-in episodes kind of created a whole new version of the brood just by uh, killing one and letting it attack him. I mean, whoops, way to go. Like, uh, we uh, with, to... with Qui-Gon in episode one, it's, I foresee you will be a great Jedi Knight, and you're a much wiser man than I, though you're going to F up things quite often <laughs> along the way. You're going to have a few spectacular screw-ups, young Ben. Oh, I'm sorry, Obi-Wan. That's something we'll get to later. You're like, wait, what? When did Qui-Gon start flow walking into the future? <laughs> we get to uh, issue 17. This one I like. Uh, it's got... Some of the same traits as issue 15. I mean, the characterization in the face doesn't quite nail it, but it's it's shaded enough in the dark that I can forgive that enough to like this cover a lot. Uh, you know, again, it, it, there's detail on the Vader pants, and because he's got a red lightsaber, it has it, but it's Cade Skywalker, Lord of the Sith. And that got me interested right away because you know we knew that this was kind of where we were going in the story arc at this point, and then you get this issue and you got that, and it's kind of got the uh vader chamber feel to it around the outside like he's kind of like inside the the oxygen chamber and like the smoke at the bottom of his feet's kind of blurring out whatever details are there but the pose he's got is defined enough there's a little bit of wash from the red lightsaber onto his chest and stuff like that but for the most part it's kind of gray and black and white i like it it's i don't know it's got a very classic feel to me maybe it's the black and white with only the red being the only color but something about this one i really liked i like the grittiness of it like this is a kind of gritty dark art style that i would like i, I mean let's see uh legacy volume two they nail panels like this every now and again and they're the panels i like the most because this is this is my version of gritty it's almost got a noir style to it yeah definitely very cool cover very iconic for this series and i like the fact that for once you know cade skywalker lord of the sith that type of thing wasn't a an entire red herring it wasn't you know could this be the end for our heroes um no, because there are heroes, and they're going forward in more issues of the series. Like, you got a lot of times on the covers of the old Marvel stuff. At this point, we didn't know what the heck was going on entirely with where Cade was going in this story arc. It was uncharted territory, so that fact of what it says on the cover, plus, you know, the extent to which he's going dark in that issue, I think, you know, it was something that made us think, holy crap, maybe what we're seeing here, what we're being threatened with, so to speak, is actually real. Yes, uh, we get to issue 18. Issue 18 is one that I would say I'm pretty conflicted on. I like the stylization, especially with Darth Nil. Uh, the, the realness of the characters almost has like a, a, a Norman Rockwell kind of feel to it. Um, but the things that throw me off is kind of the pose of the characters remind me too much like they're posing like Jedi. Like, I don't know, they give me like this noble feel and they're both Sith Lords and Nil especially is kind of shady, has a very... Uh, a, a, 
that's a, that's a good way to put it, very coal-like quality to him, I guess you would say. But Talon, I don't know, the, the way her head kind of slopes up doesn't feel like how she shows up in the comics. Like, it makes her head kind of look misshapen to a, uh, I don't know, what's Linus from Charlie Brown kind of effect to it. I mean, granted, I get that it's supposed to be the leak you kind of coming up off her forehead and all that, but that kind of throws me off about it. And I think that's about the only thing that really throws me off. For the most part, I really like it. Again, it's the pose. kind of feels more Jedi, though. Gonna make it here so that you never look at the cover the same. What is up with her Leku? They're way longer than they even remotely should be, aren't they? You shouldn't be able to smack your own butt with your own Leku, should you? And her oh, Leku's boy. going down to, like, mid-thigh, uh, including the one that's already draped over her shoulder and over part of her arm and chest, I guess, to start going down. I mean, how freaking long would these Leku be? Are they supposed to be able oh. to reach down to your knees? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm picturing in my mind the older Ahsoka in the Mortis arc of Clone Wars with those incredibly long sort of headtail type things going on that at least within her species must grow over time. But I don't remember ever seeing like an older, and certainly Talon isn't, an older mm -hmm. Twi'lek with just headtails just dragging along the ground or anything <laughs> like that. That seems as though that's a little um, overdone. Well, I mean, I, just as you mentioned that I flipped through and I'm looking at a couple panels inside, like when the lightsaber, uh, when Cole's lightsaber comes free of the cage and bursts out, they actually are about that long. They go down about to that level of her boot. So, I mean, I mean, guess maybe that's about right. But yeah, it does seem a little longer than normal. Kind of makes you question what she does with those things at night. Not going there. Uh, we get to the last one, which is number 19. It says face-off on the cover, and the face-off looks like somebody's like busted it up or tore it up. Uh, you've got Krayt pushing down with his red lightsaber. You've got Cade kind of pushing up against his. The styling, again, it gets to that kind of uh, lack of detail or the lack of detailsical version that I, we've been talking about where, I don't know, I don't quite like that aspect of it. Cade's earring looks like it's like uh, bending with gravity, kind of. Um it could be a really cool cover. And I think that's my issue is like, if they would have gone with like maybe even the stylization of the last one where it had that Norman Rockwell look, like maybe I'd have liked it more. Cause Cray, it's a really cool looking character, especially in the costume. And you know, cage just savage looking in and of itself. I mean, he's like uh, Adam from He-Man. If he was cool, you know, I mean, just, I don't know. So I don't really care for this one as much as I, I could have liked it. It had potential to be better if they would have went with a different style, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's decent enough. It gets the job done, but it's not one of my favorites. I think the the one thing it does really well is if we're assuming that Crate's armor is grown, you definitely get a sense of, of the the natural nature um, of that helmet. I mean, it almost looks like his entire head is like a creature. You know, I almost think of like Master Thawne from Tales of the Jedi when I see this helmet, but it certainly gets across sort of the... the the shell-like uh, natural contours of that helmet. And, and in that sense, it does a pretty good job. But yeah, it just, you know, for all that it could have done, it's not all that spectacular. I mean, it looked like they're both fighting with lightsabers made by Hasbro instead of the real deal in the universe. <laughs> and they did put little lightning around it. So, I mean, I'll give them there. There was some detail to it. It wasn't like it was one of the worst cases of it. But it wasn't one that really jumped out and said, I like it. Um, but, you know, it, it's a 
it's ever the case with Star Wars fans. I mean, you know, if somebody likes something, you're guaranteed someone else hates it. Someone hates something, you're guaranteed there's other people that like it. We fall in all sorts of it. There is no light and dark side when it comes to fandom. It is a wheel of grayness, I guess. Uh, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys and gals once again uh, hanging out with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can find our episodes on Stitcher. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. But no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. It is our home base, the headquarters, home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles you can explore. You can explore the expanding universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you are thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. That's right, and of course, if you want to help out uh, my wife and I during all this crazy medical bill stuff, you can find more information about that on the Facebook page for the show. The PayPal address for donations is, as it has been, Nathan at StarWarsFanWorks.com. You can also check out our Amazon.com shop if you're looking for oddball items that might have come from my collection or hers. It's Amazon.com slash shops slash Lil Joe Collectibles, L-I-L-J-O Collectibles, all as one word. And, of course, there's the Facebook page for the Star Wars Timeline Gold. If you haven't checked that out yet, at Facebook.com slash SWTimelineGold. You can, of course, find updates about the timeline there. And as I post new videos, like from the Star Wars Home Video Library and such on YouTube, I always post links to those on the Beyond the Films Facebook page and the one for the timeline. And lastly, before we go, you can even help support us directly by going to www.starwarsreport.com support. You follow the link at the bottom of each Star Wars Report episode. It's there as well. And so, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds. You know, I've actually got nothing on this one. The odds that Darth Talon will find more clothes.